And so we'll uh, move on to Pink Floyd. And they, of course, um, started out as a band uh, fronted by a very talented guitarist and songwriter named uh, Sid Barrett. And Roger, Nick, and Richard were basically his uh, backing band. And they were, of course, the house band for kind of the British version of uh, the Acid Tests. Um, They were kind of like the Grateful Dead of that scene. And they played all kinds of crazy, jammy um, rock and roll. And they had all kinds of, for the time, like truly experimental um, multimedia by basically like the... some of the most talented artists in London at the time. And they had two, I think, undeniably brilliant singles um, in Arnold Lane and See Emily Play. And they had a bunch of other cool singles and bits and pieces from that time. Um, a lot of it you can find on the album Relics. Um, and, of course, they put out one album, uh, The Piper at the Gates of Dawn, and which is... My favorite Pink Floyd album. I know that's kind of cliche among a certain set, but um, it is my favorite one. And this incarnation of the band, in fact, is my favorite one. Um, Of course, not very long after that first album, um, while they were touring and working on their second album, Sid Barrett's uh, mental health declined extremely rapidly, um, aided by... LSD. He was taking lots of LSD. And, a lot. And also, apparently, at the time, like, people thought it would be fun to, like, um, dose him, you know. Oh, we're going to go dose uh, <laughs> Sid Barrett. And so he would be thinking that he was not tripping, um, and then all of a sudden he was tripping. And that, of course, cannot be good uh, for your mental health. And so he just started behaving extremely um, erratically, um, like uh, the obligatory Hendrix perm uh, and the inevitable pinhole burns all down the front of his favorite satin shirt. And so eventually one day um, they were on their way to the show and they just kind of decided, hey, let's not pick Sid up this time. And they didn't even formally fire him. They just didn't pick him up, and that was it. And, of course, then they hired uh, David Gilmore to be a singer and guitar player to replace him, who was no stranger well, he at was all. He, he was oh, already yeah, there. you're right. He was already in the band. Cause they, cause Look, they were a five-piece for a, a minute. Yeah. He was kind of hired to pick up Sid Slack because he was already yeah, slipping. Yeah. Um, he was no stranger to the psychedelic scene. Um, no, they were they were friends long time back. Yeah, and that led directly into their second incarnation, uh, which the problem there is that Sid had been the songwriter. Um, Gilmore never was much of a songwriter, and so that led into the next phase. And I'm going to let you go ahead and handle this one, Scott, since you like it a lot more than I do. Yeah, this is so. This is actually my favorite. Pink Floyd period um, and I and I think with a lot of bands that I like my favorite period of theirs and I think this is probably true for Flaming Lips too, my favorite period of theirs is when they're still kind of uh, searching for uh, where they're still kind of searching for their direction and you know in Pink Floyd's case it's the departure of 
Sid Barrett and their primary songwriter. And so, you know, what do we do? None of us write songs. Um, Waters had written a few songs for Piper, but... Um, Gilmore had the one single as well, I believe. He, um, Gilmore actually never wrote... Uh, Gilmore's first... Wasn't it Point uh, Me at the Sky? Did you write that? Uh, I'll double check. I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't have my Wikipedia at my fingertips. Right <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a great song. Um, uh, yeah. So you know, they 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 kind of tried a lot of things, and I I appreciate when when bands reach for things and they don't. It was a Waters well. Gilmore co-write. Okay, there you go. So that, so yeah, uh, great. That, that was them be... kind of their their first great song, I think, after Sid. That would probably be Gilmore guitar and probably Waters lyrics, I would guess. But that's just that was a really great song, and it had the line, If you survive till 2005, I hope you're exceedingly thin. For if <laughs> yeah. you were stout, you will have to breathe out so the people around can breathe in. Breathe in. Uh, <laughs> I always remember I, I wanted to cover that song with my band in the year 2005. And 2005 came and went, and I never actually covered it. And that was 13 years ago, and we're all old now. Still a great song, though. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll cover it in 2025 and change the lyrics. Um, yeah. So uh, you know, before before I uh, really start talking about a sauce full of secrets, uh, I, I just want to note that Pink Floyd had some of the best discarded band names when they were when they were trying to pick a name. <laughs> yeah, they so did. They were, they were, they were first called Sigma Six, uh, and changed their name to the Mega Deaths, that's plural <laughs> and with two Gs, yeah. uh, and uh, without the A missing. So uh, the, the Mega Deaths, um, the Ad Dabs, and a variant which is my favorite of their unused names, the Screaming Ad Dabs. The Screaming yeah, Ad Dabs. I remember that one. That, that one was awesome. Leonard's Lodgers and the Spectrum Five, before settling on the T set. <laughs> So you know, Pink Floyd is one of the worst band names of all time, but uh, it works. All probably would have been worse. Oh yeah. Uh, I don't know. So Sasha Fuller Secrets it has works. It seems to from, fit for uh, some reason. Uh, it actually has uh, a Sid Barrett song at the end, and he yep. plays on a couple of the other songs on it. Yep. So he was still kind of transitioning out, and you can still really hear his influence. There's some some of his very trademark kind of light psychedelia and. Um, uh, and you know a very classic Waters tune set the controls for the heart of the sun great song uh, and of course Roger Waters first foray into uh, writing songs about uh, people who died at war yeah Corporal Clegg yeah the uh, best kazoo solo in rock and roll history <laughs> that's probably undoubtedly true <laughs> And then uh, also I, the, the first of what would kind of what would become a, uh, a regular feature for them uh, is the uh, the long, uh, mostly instrumental song that would that took up an entire side or most of an most entire of side of an album. So they had uh, they had the title track, which was twelve minutes long, and um, some some sections are more musical than others. Although I do like the psychotic piano bashing session section as well. I like it better on Pompeii. Oh yeah. Yeah. See, and uh, I, it sounds like both of you guys like that album, and I got to say, I, I find that unlistenable and cannot stand it. I mean, honestly, <laughs> "Let There Be More Light" and "Set the Controls for the Heart of the Sun" is really all I listen to off that album ever. 
Let There Be More Light is great. It does have some ridiculous psychedelic rock lyrics, too, though. Oh, well, that, yeah. Th- those are always great, though. <laughs> then at last, the mighty ship descending on a point of flame made contact with the human race at Bildenhall? Bildenhall? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I don't even remember the name. Who knows? Who knows what the fuck that's supposed to mean? So English. <laughs> at least he didn't talk but, about you know, Ida Downs on this one. <laughs> but, but, I mean, uh, you know, I, it was... It was after you I was I was going to briefly touch on the first album because I didn't get to say anything about that I, I do really like that album I mean it's you know it's it's not I wouldn't pick it as my favorite or even maybe among my first three favorites but it's got, I love Interstellar Overdrive and uh, Astronomy Domini every band I've ever been in has played that song I've played that song live probably a hundred times and um, it's you know it's good stuff for sure and it's definitely nothing like anything else that they did. Yeah, no, no. It's not like anything after it, but it's still... It, you could put on something from that or something from, say, Animals, and it stills Pink Floyd to me, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, I gotta say, yeah, Astronomy Domini is uh, is one of my favorite songs. And, you know, this was 1967. Mm-hmm. And what else was, like, rocking that heavily and that not uh, much. dissonant? Not, not much. Yeah. I mean, and that was light years ahead of its time, that song. Yeah. And we should definitely uh, mention Bike, because that song is beautifully insane. Um, oh, and I, t- and I totally stole the Lucifer Sam riff is in the f- first song on the new Telestrion album, the one with the video up that, uh, that's already out there. That was the inspiration I'm for that riff. say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I give it no, a it's better. It's better. I changed. I changed. I changed two notes. They, I don't, no one can sue me or anything. But that's definitely where I was like, "Do you oh, have any me... idea how many lawyers listen to this podcast?" Yeah, it's like fifty percent uh, of your listening base is lawyers. Yeah, well, they're they're going to be the ones defending me. So yeah, but I, yeah, I, don't, I was going to say I don't <laughs> think Rick or Aaron is going to is going to sue us. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, go ahead and continue, Scott. Okay, well, uh, uh, so that's about all I have to say about Sauce for All the Secrets. It's, uh, I, I wouldn't quite call it my favorite album, but it's, it's probably my second favorite album. Wow. Yeah, I can't. I, can't it's not, I don't like it that much. They have too many more that I like a lot more. Such as more. Uh, so, Ooh, well done. Speaking of which, uh, <laughs> yeah, so more <laughs> began, uh, that began their period of contributing some... Uh, some soundtracks to some films of questionable quality. Yeah, who cares about the movies? The music is amazing. Yeah, the music is great. Uh, you know, they've. Uh, how many people have actually seen the movies that the uh, that the music is, is made for? I don't know. I've I've only seen one of these films, which I don't. I, will, I don't think I've watched any of them. Briefly talk about. More <laughs> um, has some really good stuff. It's got uh, you know, it's got some filler. All their soundtracks yeah. kind of have some some toss. You know, toss off filler, but uh, Cirrus Minor is a great song. The Nile song. Nile song, yeah. Uh, Nile song is probably the heaviest you know, like, Pink Floyd song there is. Yeah. Uh, Symboline. Color, Symboline. Yeah, yeah. Color. Um, and, you know, if you like uh, psychotic piano bashing, Up the Kyber is, is, is another great uh, one in that vein. Now, have you heard the, uh, the other version, the uh, A Man, A Journey, which is basically all that album, but with different lyrics? Yes, and I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. 
uh, a Spanish piece I find to be a little, uh, you know, stereotypical and insensitive. Of, uh, it has a, you know, a, an insensitive depiction of a Spanish gentleman. And it was 1969. Yeah, they, they didn't know <laughs> about that stuff. <laughs> uh, but no, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good, good solid album. You know, ha- I think half of it is, is a good solid album. The rest is, you know, there, but... Yeah, I really like it. So I haven't really spent uh, much time at all. I've I've listened to it a few times, but I haven't spent all that much time with that album. But Andy assured me uh, that I would like it, um, so I'm going to make a point to listen to that one for sure. More? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really cool stuff on there. You're going to dig Nile Song, and and I mean, if nothing else, Nile Song, you'll be like, oh hell yeah, <laughs> it's Pink Floyd rocking out. Yeah, and so then uh, they had the bright idea to all go into the studio by themselves and each person get a uh, side of LP. (laughs) Bad idea, guys. uh, Yeah, it's just the Narrow Way, David Gilmore song, um, which uh, is really his first big contribution um, in terms of like, you know, writing a song by himself. Uh, and in fact, apparently he asked Waters to write some lyrics to it, and uh, Waters told him to fuck off. So <laughs> they, um, That sounds like Roger. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, so it opens with this just, you know, so Nick, uh, Richard Wright starts it off with, uh, you know, this piano and keyboard-driven classical piece that has its moments, but it's just kind of overblown and doesn't really go anywhere. And then roger waters kind of sleepy folky acoustic thing which is fine grant chester meadows and then um a sound collage that doesn't need to exist but it, yep. it does have um a great a it has a great title title yeah yeah several species of small furry animals gathered together in a cave and grooving with a picked yeah see yeah. What, when i first heard that album when i was a teenager like i was really stoked about that album just because of that title <laughs> Like, and you're like, oh, like so disappointed, 16, you know, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and then it was awful. <laughs> yeah, I, I only, I've only probably made it through that studio album portion maybe once. I, I, I listen to the live part a few times, but no. Yeah, maybe once yeah. or twice for me. Yeah, the li- the, the live album is, is a solid part. That that version of uh, Astronomy Domini it's pretty heavy. And, yeah, um, but uh, yeah, David Gilmore's song "The Narrow Way" is. It, it's fine, but it's pretty unrealized. And then it ends with a eight minute and forty six second long drum solo. Woohoo! So, Woo-hoo. There you yeah. go. Every album That's should end album. with an eight minute drum solo. <laughs> <laughs> it does have a really cool, uh, like uh, just a classic in the annals of uh, of uh, album covers to stare at while stoned. That's true. That's, That's true. Yeah, it does have the never ending uh, picture, the infinitely yeah. repeating photograph with uh, with yeah. minor changes on each on each one. Yeah, um, and I, I wonder how many minds were blown the first time they realized the photos weren't all the same. Oh man! Whoa, dude, <laughs> dude. So with that one behind them, uh, then they uh, embarked on actually kind of a similar uh, venture, but uh, and they made. What is my favorite Pink Floyd album of all time? Adam Hart. Interesting. Mother. Wow. I, I like it. I love, so the, I love the I love the suite, but I I can't pick it as my favorite. I uh, I you know it's one of those things where I don't think it's their best, but it's the Your one favorite. that I like the most. Gotcha. Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of a personal album for me. Um, you know, one of those things that you associate with a, a 
a feeling and a time and a place and an age and uh, yeah, but yeah. you know the suite is really cool aside from some of the bizarre vocal parts but um, <laughs> have you heard the uh the the bbc version they played it full with without the orchestra uh-huh yeah that's, that's pretty cool i mean i like the orchestra i i don't oh, need yeah. so much the uh the bizarre tribal chanting or whatever that's <laughs> supposed to be um but uh this also has has some great titles for uh for, for some of the subsections of, of the suite like uh like breast milky and funky dung. Funky dung. Uh but this also this like, album is like also a, famous for Alan's uh, Psychedelic Breakfast. I I love that song. That's uh, a good that's <laughs> a really actually good song. I love the little musical vignettes and um I don't know, I think there's a certain kind of person uh where the phrase marmalade, I like marmalade is is part of your uh, your, your regular <laughs> expressions. That's certainly something I say from time to time. Nice. <laughs> Eggs, bacon, coffee, toast. <laughs> um, I I love all the little. The, I love all the individual songs. If is a beautiful, beautiful song. Um, yeah. Summer '68. Yeah, Fat Old Sun is a cool song for sure. And it has a great cover too, because you know they their album covers were always designed by hypnosis and yeah, uh, you know they were always mind bending and uh, except and, this one's just know, a like Amagama, <laughs> and uh, so for this one they they were they were kind of getting tired of always being boxed into this space rock uh, thing that that they do, and um, so they wanted a, a a totally boring, unassuming album cover, and so. Uh, the photographer drove out to a field and took a picture of the first cow he saw, and that was the cover. <laughs> and people uh, still tried to tease out what it meant. <laughs> it's got something oh, yeah, to do with yeah, the heavy never... dung, man. Something to do with the heavy dung. <laughs> no, it's just a cow. Never underestimate how much uh, how much stoners will, will try to find meaning and stuff. Did yeah, you ever? Uh, sure. I can't remember. What... I don't think it was in Don't Look Back. I think it was in uh, Scorsese's uh, Bob Dylan documentary. Um, whose name is now eluding me? Um, no direction. At any home. rate, no direction home. Yeah, and uh, there's there's a scene where there uh, where he's doing like a, or he meets a fan, mm. and this is around the time of uh, Highway 61, and the fan is grilling him on the meaning of the motorcycle shirt that he's wearing on the cover, <laughs> and yeah. he like presents yep. him with this entire thesis yep. on what the shirt means, and Bob Dylan's like, I don't know, man, I, it's just a shirt I put on that day. And <laughs> you could see it's like the you know Ralph Wiggum, you can pinpoint the moment his heart ripped into right. when he realized that this entire mythology that he built up uh, was a lie. Yeah, D- or 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 Dylan might have just been like, holy shit, he figured it out, and then just wanted to like, throw him <laughs> off. There you go. <laughs> nah, man, it was just a shirt I picked out that day, man. Come on. Yeah, Dylanologists. That's probably more likely, yeah. Dylanologists <laughs> obsessives are, are the worst, I would say, when it comes to that kind of thing. But uh, anyway, yeah, I don't, I don't have too so, many thoughts uh, on Adam Hart, mother. And when I finally decided to go full hipster and, and get, a, get a turntable here in my uh, 21st century adult life, uh, the first album that I bought was a first pressing of Adam Hart, mother. That was the first thing that I wanted to own on Bob. Nice. Probably cheaper than buying a new pressing. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, maybe not for the uh, for the original pressing, but yeah. I mean, new pressings. I if I'm gonna buy something on vinyl, I you know sometimes I'll buy a new album on vinyl, like something that just came out. Uh, but for the most part, I want to buy something. I want to buy a piece of vinyl that existed when it was the dominant medium. 
Right. And that, you know, it's, I don't know, a, a lot of, a lot of vinyl for me. Yeah. You know, it's warmer and this and that, but you know, me, it's more like the physical interaction with media and, uh, and then also, um, part of it's just like the awesome historical value of, you know, this circle has contained this recording since basically this music was made. And yeah. um, that's just really cool. I just imagine it, you know, sitting on someone's uh, bookshelf and, you know, listening to it in 1970 or whatever. And it's just <laughs> existed this whole time. I have somewhere in this house, uh, this apartment, excuse me, um, I nicked it from my mom because she wasn't using it uh an original u.s pressing of uh meet the beatles i don't even have a turntable but you're damn sure oh, i'm wow. keeping I, that around that's a good way to get home <laughs> probably hasn't been played in 30 years but now, so, some of those new pink floyd pressings are pretty nice i have some of the of the later albums yeah they i'm, uh, I'm building out a good my job. Pink floyd collection I, st- I still don't i'm not to skip ahead but i still don't have dark side on on vinyl but it's also not like Favorite. We're almost there. Uh, yeah. We're almost there. We're getting so, there. Uh, so this next one, so after Adam Hart, you know, they've been kind of drifting around for a while and trying different things that sometimes worked, sometimes didn't. But, you know, those, those three actual songs on at the beginning of Side 2 of, of uh, Adam Hart Mother was kind of a preview of, what's to, of what was to come. They, they ditched a lot of the psychedelic noodling and they tightened up their songs and had verses and choruses and bridges and, and then I think metal is the first album that fully realized them as a yeah. band of songwriters. Yes. And yeah. it was very folky. There was a lot of acoustic guitars. There were verses and choruses. And then there was Echoes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. The soundtrack for the moon landing. Great. Yeah, well, oh, we, actually... We, we can't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> actually... Echoes, so again, uh, wanting to uh, cast aside their, their space rock uh, pigeonholing, um, they, uh, they wanted to make it about uh, going under the sea, well, I believe. I th- I'm pretty sure originally it was supposed to be for uh, 2001. Yeah, that's what they say. I don't know if that's ever actually been confirmed. Have you ever, have you ever watched it? But <laughs> Not together, no. But Watch, you know, yeah. once again, never, never underestimate the ability of a stoner to, yeah, right, to uh, put two and together an album to a movie. Um, I would actually like to see that, though. I think that would be really interesting. I would not put it put it past them that they made the music while watching it. Oh, I think uh, I, I can't remember know. where I where I read it, and I've I've been reading uh, Nick Mason's book recently, and and I don't think he really goes into it, but I thought I had heard that. That um, uh, brain fart on the director, uh, Stanley Kubrick. Kubrick. Kubrick wanted Pink Floyd to do the soundtrack for 2001, and they had kind of had some talks about it, and it never really got much further. But Pink Floyd had kind of started developing Echoes as maybe an idea of something to do for that if they were going to do it, but it never really advanced. So you know, it just they developed it in, into their own thing. Gotcha. Yeah, that that sounds plausible. But yeah, if you do watch but, the last twenty-three minutes of two thousand one, that kind of that in piece of the movie that's separate, and watch it with uh, echoes, it it like, well, yeah, this makes perfect sense. <laughs> All right, because it it's, it works perfect. All right, I can. Uh... But now now, but but before we, uh... oh wait, sorry, what, what were you gonna say? 
I, I can answer this definitively because I just looked it up on uh, oh, Yeah, tell Wikipedia. me what, what the truth is. Uh, similar to the dark side of the rainbow effect, at-large rumors suggested that Echoes coincidentally synchronizes with Stanley Kubrick's 1968 film 2001 A Space Odyssey when played concurrently with the final 23-minute segment titled Jupiter and Beyond the Infinite. At the time of the film's production in 1967-1968, well, there you go right there, um, but Pink Time Floyd was not off. working on any material suitable for the film, nor were they contacted about supplying music. It is likely that Kubrick never heard the band's music until after the film was finished. Yes, could all just be urban legend, but yeah, it, 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 it definitely like. it definitely works. <laughs> whichever <laughs> well, whichever stoner figured that shit out is, is need needs some sort of an award. <laughs> <laughs> and so metal is also uh, is also famous for having what many consider to be the worst Pink Floyd song ever. Uh, is actually one of my favorites, which which is Seamus. Oh, Seamus. Uh, song with the dog, right? The blue song with the howling dog. Yeah, yeah. that shit's awesome. Who says that's terrible? Right. Yeah, everybody, that everybody hates it. Oh, they're, they're wrong. That's what I say. Yeah, oh, that's great. Well, we should actually bring this up real quick. Uh, Andy, did you ever uh, see that piece that was going around by, uh, I think his name was Bill Wyman, coincidentally. Uh, is this writer who wrote all of the Pink Floyd songs ranked? Um, and he very obviously didn't like Pink Floyd very much. Oh, that was a horrible <laughs> article. <laughs> see, and I liked it. Yeah, I do remember seeing that, yeah. yeah. And I looked at it for a brief second just to see, confirm that he knew nothing, yes. <laughs> see, I didn't agree with him about everything, but I did. Uh, I thought it was really funny, and I did enjoy that he managed to troll like all of the uh, real big Pink Floyd fans. Um but I, I have to say, on just about metal, um, is that that's one that I had listened to it back in the day, but I didn't re- like really get into it until like the last couple of years. Um, and yeah, it's great. It's great. Um, like I think one of these days is that's like a really cool long like jam session. That I mean, is there any kinda... any any crazier, more psychedelic song than one of these days that gets or at least back when I had to listen to it got played regularly on classic rock radio? No, not really. And that like kind of <laughs> maybe set Frankenstein. The table. That's probably about it. <laughs> that kind of set the table, I think, for uh, Dark Side of the Moon and Wish You Were Here. Um, Fearless is like a that's a pretty cool like little guitar riff. Um, that just builds and builds and builds and Gilmore's vocal on that is like great um, and of course as a, a Liverpool uh, fan I love the ending of that song um, but uh, yeah anyway so yeah I, re- I really like metal yeah and I think metal is, is the popular choice for uh people's favorite Pink Floyd albums if they're not going to pick Dark Side of the Moon. Still not my favorite. I love it, but and it's not, so, my, not my favorite. And so as we grow closer to the, uh, to, to the, the famous album... We have the warm-up. We had one more brief layover, which is another, uh, another attempt at a soundtrack. Um, and uh, this was Obscured by Clouds, which I think is better than more. Yeah, oh, I, I agree. Definitely better than more. This is the one I told you you would like, uh, Brown. You you told me both of them, more and Obscured Oh, okay, by both of them then. Yeah. You'll like both of them then. 
And I haven't, I haven't spent a lot of time with either of them. So. <laughs> yeah, What's the Deal, Free Force Day. That has some really good songs and a lot less, uh, a lot less filler in it also. The Gold It's In, though, that's, that's a great song. Then, of course, um, after that soundtrack... Um, then came they, The Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah, they blew the fuck up after that. Um, they released the most popular album in rock history, of, almost. Of all time, yep. Um, and then, It was like on the charts for 20 years, I think. For longer than that. Um, was it longer than that? Yeah, way longer than that. Um, it, it might still be uh, even the biggest um, selling rock album of all time. I'm not well, sure. I think Eagles' greatest hits are Fleetwood Mac Rumors. I think it's one of those. Yeah, but but Dark Side has sold yeah, 14 million, I think. Eagles' greatest hits. I think you're right about that one. Um, and then, of course, uh, right after that, um, backed it up with Wish You Were Here, which I like way better than Dark Side of the Moon. Um, and, of course, topically, um, both of those albums were tributes and kind of an apology to Sid Barrett because they did treat him like shit while he was coming unglued. Um, yeah, I, th- I think at that point they realized the extent of that it was a lot more than just, you know, there's a lot of mental illness in there. Yeah. And then, like, musically, they were kind of like, I guess you would say, like, architecturally detailed um, experimental concept albums that came off and they were massive hits and I would say rightfully Um, and of course while they were recording Wish You Were Here um, this overweight guy showed up at the studio (laughs) one day and he's totally bald who's this bloke? Shaved off his including eye- his eyebrows. Yeah, including Who's his this eyebrows. Bloke, then they had no idea who he was. Um, eventually, figured out it was Sid Barrett, and he told them that he was ready to join the band again. Um, <laughs> hung around with them for a little bit. Um, walked out of the studio, and they never saw him again. Which is that's you kind forgot of a- the part where he tried to brush his teeth by jumping up and down and holding the oh yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> I did forget that detail. Um, which is kind of a weird psychic uh, coincidence, um, considering uh, that Wish You Were Here was like not totally from start to finish, but almost the entire album was about him. Um, and yeah, him in the music industry. Yeah, yep, it, both those things. Um, I don't have too many thoughts on Dark Side of the Moon. Um, that's an album that's been pretty well picked apart and talked about endlessly. So I don't know if you yeah, guys have I, things to say. I've about known it. that album my whole life. I, I love it. Yeah. It's not my favorite Pink Floyd album, but I could listen to it at any time and enjoy it. And yeah. I did enjoy the whole Wizard of Oz thing. That was a fun thing to discover initially, like doing it for real. And then, you know, it kind of got cliche or whatever, but it's still cool. <laughs> yeah, it was cool when I first heard about it. It was fun. Yeah. I got stoned yeah. and did that. But yeah, that's just that also led to that. Just I've heard that album more times than I ever need to, but I still still love it. It's still cool and sounds great in surround sound. And uh, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll listen to it probably once every five years or so. But so. I like "Wish You Were Here" more. Yeah, me too. Me too. The synths on that are just mind blowing. Yeah, that one. With, that's my uh, 
That would be my second favorite Pink Floyd album. Um, Mine too, second favorite. Specifically, uh, the Shine On You, Crazy Diamonds. Um, Welcome to the Machine, I'm kind of particular too, but Shine On is awesome. I, I like that one too, especially uh, like the contrast between the acoustic guitar and then the synths. But that whole really thing well. kind of works as a piece from, from beginning. It's one you really got to listen to the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, it definitely does. Definitely does, yeah. I mean, out of context on classic rock radio, I don't really even particularly care for Wish You Were Here, but as a part of the whole album, it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant, actually. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, of course, it has the famous line, uh, which one's pink? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's Have a Cigar. That's Have a Cigar. Yeah, that's an yeah. awesome song. So, uh, and which they were around, actually, which they I were actually realized asked. for the longest time was sung by uh, a guy whose name I, I don't have my, uh, my yeah, my a guy not in the band, my notes. <laughs> not in the band, yeah. Um, somebody they they were struggling to uh, record the vocals, and one of you that has uh, readier access to uh, the, the well, world of the internet can probably find it. Well, specifically, uh, <laughs> um, it was that Roger Waters could not hit the notes. <laughs> um, yeah, so they had to find. And of course, you know. So singer. speaking of Roger Waters, we're at the we're at this point now where you know you mentioned that they're Roy Harper conceptual. Roy, Roy Harper. Harper. There you go. Immortalized uh, you in mentioned... Led Zeppelin song. Mm-hmm. Hats off to Roy Harper. <laughs> yep. He does a great uh, job on that song. <laughs> but we've reached the point now where where now they've had two massively successful albums. Yep. That uh, uh, far eclipsed anything they'd ever done before that in their career, and they were yeah. kind of by far, superstars. By far. They're the band that uh, inspired Disaster Area in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, and um, and this coincides the with concepts, the time when like the record business is really, really starting to turn into yeah, a business, blowing up, blowing up. Yep. Yeah, I mean they're they're famously fabulous, fabulously wealthy. Um, blew it all on a on touring but uh and, a, and uh, building a studio but that's that's kind of what inflated roger's ego and made him fancy himself uh i'm the leader of this band uh oh yeah yeah you know, i have all the ideas and we're yep. going to start doing what i say yep and i i was kind of unsure which kind of era to put this one in because i could i could go either way because i think there's definitely a cleavage uh Two different areas it's, here, uh, where there was it fits dark more side with Wish You Were Here and uh, Dark Side to me than it does with The Wall. Yeah, and y- Animals music. is my favorite Pink Floyd album. Animals is. Um, okay, I knew yes. you were going to say that. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of process of elimination by this point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's the, also their it's biggest guitar the album, and yeah, guitar yeah, guys. yeah. Because even got, though Roger Waters says we're going to do what I say, one of the things he said is David Gilmour play a shit ton of guitar on here. Which is, that's a very good idea, because David Gilmore is a fucking really good guitar player. Uh, Yeah, and Animals has really, really, really cool stuff musically, Um, but that... That middle of Sheep is probably one of, like, the scariest pieces of music ever recorded. that's super cool. That's super cool. But... It's, like, up there with, like, the Exorcist theme. But you can also see not only him being uh, dictatorial within the band, that's also when he decided that what he really needed to do um, musically, lyrically, was to start yelling his uh, strident political <laughs> opinions at everyone. Uh, <laughs> which Animals definitely did that. Uh, but since it's, uh, since it's your favorite Pink Floyd album, why don't you go ahead and uh, speak on that for 
Well, I mean, I, you know, it's 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 certainly more about the the music for me, and and uh, you know, this just the all the guitar work and dogs, and then combined with the entirety of of sheep, you know, and that's that's yeah. and and pigs is a great jam too. I mean, that's just a, a cool jam. Pigs on the wing as far is cool. like I you like know, like always with me, the lyrics are kind of secondary. You know, uh, they don't yeah. make or break anything for me. So, uh, you know, I, while I'm aware that it's like more Roger's starting to, you know, you know, preach and and very loudly about, I, I, it doesn't it doesn't come off that way to me too much. You know, they're they're still vague enough that I can I can yeah, relate it definitely. to whatever I want it to mean. You know. Yeah, he got a lot more insistent and uh, strident on <laughs> the next couple. Um, and of course, the the one right after that, uh, and almost as ever. And just as an aside, real quick, can either of you guys think of a double album that should have been a double album? Blonde on Blonde. Um, yeah, I suppose that one's true. I'm trying to think of some double albums that aren't live albums. Like even Give the me some White shouldn't have been one. I mean, I don't know. All right. Well, I mean, I like everything on the White album, but you know, <laughs> yeah, you could have cut a lot of that. Revolution Nine or uh, Honey Pie or uh, <laughs> lots of stuff. Yeah. I mean, um, the wall is what know, ex- the wall is. What the wall is. I mean, I don't think you can really subtract anything from it, or it's going to be a different thing. You know. Yeah, that's that's. No, I true. think it's a very complete that's album. I, I, yeah. I think yeah. I, I didn't know if you were saying that the Wall actually deserves to be a double album because I think I think it does. I think it's a well excellent double album. Well, what I was going to say, about the Wall it is, is pretty divisive among among Floyd fans, even the hardcore. But I I do I do like it, but I like it yeah, more a, as kind of a I like it more for Bob Ezrin's influence than for Pink Floyd's influence. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and I would say it, it has a lot of good stuff. And as far as, um, like, the concept, the coherent whole, it works as a double album. I'm not sure that it had a double album's worth of songs. Um, and I don't I don't know how well the concept actually holds together. Um, in particular, I would say that, like, Roger's conception of the relationship between the artist and the audience. I don't think very many musicians would share that. Um, And the movie, it has some really striking imagery and that was really pretty cool when I was like 16 and like getting high for the first few times. Um, But overall (laughs) now I'd I'd say it kind of sucks. So yeah. Yeah, I have no desire to watch the really movie, and the only time I've listened to the album in full recently was when I saw uh, Roger Waters perform it live. So, I'm, but, uh, you know, I, it's not one I go back to a lot, but I, I, there's songs on it that I like to listen to a lot, uh, individual songs oh, that sure. I really enjoy. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it wouldn't work any other way than as it is, as a, as a complete thing. And, and you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah I never true. listened to it anymore. Like Brown said, when I was, uh, you know... 20 years old and getting high and angry at everyone and everything like that was you know that's the perfect album for you know an angry adolescence but and when um, you're first getting to know the album yeah. I mean, you know it's 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 pretty it's pretty mind-blowing you know as it, with all the, yeah, the callbacks and the different. reprises and you know yeah yeah 
Yeah. I mean, especially as a musician that, yeah. uh, I mean, that taught me a lot about crafting an album. And, but, uh, so, you know, should we note, I mean, we should, pardon me if you were, uh, if you were going to get to this, but we should talk about the tour when, uh, you know, he basically Roger showed up with really crappy demos of, of everything and said, this is the album that we're making. And, uh, and hired, uh, well, let's see, so uh, uh, Mason, the drummer, uh, either quit or was fired. He was they fired. they hired him back for the tour. Uh, that was, that was a, Richard Wright. Uh, uh, Richard Wright? Uh, yeah, they hired yeah, him back it as was a, Richard as a, Yeah, a salary member. musician. He's the only one that and made it, made any money on the tour. <laughs> right, because the tour yep. was so, again, the inspiration <laughs> it was for a disaster. disaster Area yeah. and uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. It was this totally overblown tour with way too expensive and lost a shitload of money. So it's kind of poetic justice, really, that he's the only one that got paid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it, during that period, um, and there's one more album to go in this period, uh, they weren't really a band anymore. Um, it was uh, not at all benevolent dictatorship, and yeah. Roger turned into a complete fucking asshole. Um, oh, yeah. Treated everybody like total shit. Um, and they they didn't really have... I mean... He would let uh, David Gilmore, like, contribute some, you know, because David Gilmore was a great musician, but, like, basically, like, Nick Mason and Richard Wright, they were just, like, session hands. The um, Wall is a Roger Waters, Bob Ezrin uh, collaboration with David Gilmore, Thornton's yep. guitar solos. And yet the best song is a David Gilmore song. Yeah. Comfortably Numb. Comfortably right. Numb. And Roger yep. Waters stole a bunch of songwriting credit for. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that was another massive dick move. Um yeah, and he figured out even uh, that classic uh, songwriter dick move of uh, claiming sole credit on even, like, the songs on that that were, like, 30 seconds long, you know? Mm-hmm. He, he claimed sole well, and what did he say to so uh, What did he say to Ezra? Royalties. And he said, you know, you can, uh, you can contribute, but don't expect any credit. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And it, I mean, you know, as long as self- you know what the deal is going in, then it's up to you whether or not that's okay for you, you know? But it's really weird coming from someone who's supposedly a socialist that he was that uh, money grubbing about that kind of shit and kind of just. I don't know. If, me, I don't like, know if it was. I don't know if it was money as much as just control and wanting it to be egomania. seen as yeah. this is my masterwork and I this is me. This is mine. You know. Yeah, pure ego. Well, yeah, but the, the was, claiming songwriting credit, um, sole songwriting credit for songs that were that's, like 30 that's, seconds That's long, more of an ego thing, too, though. No, that's a money thing. He, get, he yeah. got way more royalties because of that. Um, Can it be both? Yeah, I think it was, but I think motivation was more ego than money. Could be. Who knows? We don't have Roger on the pod to ask him. Um, right, Roger. <laughs> Although I should say but now he's on this big redemption tour where he's yes. you know being because uh, I saw that wall tour also and you know he talks about oh I was angry young Roger and yeah. I was yeah. you know and and you know now he's trying to like rehabilitate his image but Man, I think that it's last still show again was... very ego driven probably yeah. although I I, I, I do want to say that well Roger he's Waters he's is ego a... driven enough to where he's he's singing to to uh, vocal tracks on stage. You know, he doesn't want to. He knows he can't quite hit those notes live anymore. Get there so anymore. he yeah. he wants it to be presented as you know the ideal performance. So he is not all of his vocals are actually live, but it was it was an amazing show, and I really enjoyed it. So, and we should say that um, he did turn into a, 
a complete egomaniac asshole, but he was also an extremely intelligent guy, um, and a really good songwriter. Um, so we'll yeah. give him his fair shake right before I say um, that the final cut is utterly unlistenable garbage. I pretty much agree with that. No argument here. <laughs> <laughs> I may have made it through it all the way once, maybe. I, I didn't. I did not even make it through it once. I got about. I think the like the, the Fletcher the Memorial through. song maybe has a couple of moments where it's kind of like, oh yeah, okay, nah. Yeah, and that's where like he wasn't even trying to write good songs anymore. That was just him no, that was a, just yeah. screaming his political opinions at people. Yeah. Um, and he thought Roger thought that that was the end of Pink Floyd. He decided Pink <laughs> he, so Floyd he thought. was done. He, decided, <laughs> he desired. He tried to dissolve the band. However, the rest of the band did not want to stop being Pink Floyd. And he then sued them to try to prevent them from using the name and trademark, um, which he really had no grounds to do. Um, no. Which, again, that's his egomania. But if if I'm not in the band, then it's not Pink Floyd. Then there anymore. is no band. Yep. Um, so they soldiered on. Um, I guess depending on your perspective, um, fortunately or unfortunately. And I mean, again, they did some cool. They did some cool live shows, but I, yeah, I exactly. don't really care, care yeah. for either of those albums. Yeah, and uh, once again, the problem came up that uh, none of David Gilmore. Uh, Nick Mason or Richard Wright were really songwriters and so for both the, I would say aptly titled, Momentary Lapse of Reason um, and The Division Bell, they kind of used a lot of hired guns um, songwriters, it became kind of like a corporate project um, yeah. they had to put these albums out just to kind of like keep the machine going. Keep the product moving Yeah. And I, I, I think both of those albums are total garbage. They're uncreative and just not worth listening to. They but both have some moments, but the best thing they they've done moments. was was the Endless River, which is just outtakes of them jamming. <laughs> yeah. Le- Learning to Fly, I would say that's a really good song. Um, yeah, it's all right. It's a good song. Um, none of it compares yeah, to. I don't. I don't really have anything to say about the Gilmore era. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, it, I don't think anybody does. Com- is the thing. None of it compares favorably to, to classic Pink Floyd. So, I mean, he really is one of my favorite guitar players of all time, for sure. And like, great singer, maybe too. the most tasteful guitar player in history. Him and George Harrison. Yeah, yeah, he was such a better producer, and I mean, he just created such a great tone and just layered his solos and yeah, um, every note he played was important. And he's a really good singer, and by all accounts, seems like a really fucking nice chap. Um, and we should say, to their credit, that while they put out two basically garbage albums, they did continue to tour. Um, they did continue to put on amazing live shows with uh, all kinds of production value to them that many millions and millions of people have seen. I, unfortunately... Um, Never did get to see them live. Um, I never did either. But by all accounts, they're great. And, I mean, I've watched, you know. Um, what was that? Was it Pulse 
was that called? The Pulse, one that had yeah. the blinking light. Yeah. That was the um, Division Bell tour. Yeah. Yeah, I watched, uh, of course, that DVD and uh, looked like a really cool and show. They reunited for that uh, Live 8. Yeah, Live 8. That was pretty cool. With all of them. I watched that yeah, live that on cool. the internet. That was cool. Yeah, that was yeah. cool. Um, and then <laughs> discovered that Roger and uh, <laughs> David still hated each other. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. Four songs is all they can take. Yep. So that was the but end of that. I, there was there was one wall show where David came back at least for like one song I think so I mean at least they can like yeah occasionally... in London he did the solo for comfortably numb yeah yeah they at least can occasionally be in the same building together yeah and they did um... but just literally on the other side of a wall from each other <laughs> yeah <laughs> um they did uh, they did get together at least one more time after that. Um, because, of course, um, the extremely sad tale of Sid Barrett um, came to an end on July 7th, 2006, um, at his home in Cambridge at the age of 60. And they did, uh, there was a Madcap, Madcap Laughs um, tribute show not long after that. And um, they didn't perform together, but uh, all four members of the band did. Uh, did perform at it, so um, there was that. And Sid Barrett has to be, I mean, that's one of the, like, I don't know, great what-ifs of music history, I would say. Um, well, yeah, I mean... It's really too bad. Uh, yeah. It, it, it's a big what-if, because there's really nothing that gives any kind of indication of where he might have gone. I mean, his... his solo stuff is i mean it's it's cool but it's you know you got to be in the right frame of mind to listen to it and you know it's not yeah there's i wouldn't count there's some like really good there's some really good ideas in there and like there's i know some people there's some subset of people that think like those two sid barrett albums are the best albums ever in the history of music but i don't get that nuts uh no like i i mean like rats is really cool um there's a few other songs, but that are, I'm not thinking of off the top of my head. But yeah, mostly it's there's some good ideas in there, but he just couldn't sustain it anymore yeah. um, for longer than a few minutes. In fact, um, he had one. I think it was called like "Have You Worked It Out Yet?" I want to say, and he would like play it for various people who were trying to help him finish his solo album, and he would just constantly be changing it. Everything about it, like the melody, the tune, the chords, like constantly. And then he just sang, like, have you worked it out yet? (laughs) 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 Like, yeah, um, that's kind of like the frame of mind he was in. Um, I mean, you know, just it it had to work out that way because, I mean, even if I would consider Piper at the Gates of Dawn my favorite album, I still wouldn't want to imagine a world without... Dark Side, Wish You Were Here, and Animals, you know? Yeah, or Metal, even. Yeah, yeah. Sid, uh, Sid definitely had his moments as a songwriter. Um, I can only take so much of the kind of whimsical, psychedelic stuff. But, um, yeah, they, uh, I mean, they definitely needed to move on from him if they were, you know, going to become one of the greatest rock bands in history. Although there's an alternate history where maybe they would have become one of the greatest rock bands in history just with a little different spin. Um, 
because I could, I could have seen Sid Barrett growing as a songwriter to that level. Um, who knows, though? Yeah. We'll never know. Um, but the way that it worked out was plenty fucking great. Um, I'll still say The Flaming Lips. Um, I like The Flaming Lips better. Um, although I can see definitely why people love Pink Floyd as much as they do. And, of course, I like, obviously, as we've discussed, I like a whole lot of Pink Floyd. Um, I guess, and probably the biggest difference for me um, between me and you guys is that that kind of middle period between Sid um, up until Metal, um, I just have never really gotten into. Um, which might say more about me than it does about that period. Well, nothing's changed for me. It's Pink Floyd, you know. Um, I love the lips, but I, I will always love Floyd more. And, you know, they're connected to the the best story anyone's ever told me about my dad. They they told me, um, I can't remember who it was that told me the story. It might have been my mom, might have been one of his friends. But uh, it was that, uh, after the funeral, they were telling me, just talking about music and stuff. And, um and he told me that one of his best memories of my dad was uh, uh, setting up his quadraphonic stereo system, sitting in between all the speakers, smoking a joint and listening to Dark Side of the Moon. I'm like, yeah, I, I think I can relate to that. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really know my dad like that until very briefly at the end when he started smoking pot again, but... Um, you know, that's just like, yeah, okay, Apple definitely doesn't fall far from the tree here. Yeah. Um, final thoughts, Scott? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, definitely Pink Floyd, of course, uh, as has already been established. Um, I think, I don't know, I might go so far as to say the Flaming, ri- flaming Lips uh, wrote more good songs. I mean, they've they've written a lot of really great songs they're more of a pop band than pink floyd were um but you know in terms of like their place in history and uh their range of styles and uh especially for me somebody who likes complicated long songs um they definitely did a lot more of that they were a lot more progressive um you know better better guitar work uh I don't yeah, know. Ronald I, um, Jones. I really is pretty big fucking good. And actually, after this conversation, I might go back and and listen to some more and uh, and and revisit some of those. Um, but yeah, Pink Floyd, one of the most important bands in the history of music. So yeah. no contest for me. Yeah, and in terms of their uh, place in history, um, Pink Floyd definitely will rank far higher than uh, Flaming Lips. That's for sure. Well, and on a personal, like, relating to the music and songwriting level, you know, it was real easy for me to start out writing Black Sabbath rip-off songs. That was, that was always came very easy to me, but it was always my goal to be able to write a Pink Floyd rip-off song. And it was a long time before I kind of, like, figured out everything that went, because I was always, like, a heavy rock and roll person. So it was a long time for me to, like, figure that out. And once I did, I was like, okay, that like opened the door to my music creation, you know. And the Flaming Lips definitely didn't do that. But I do do love the Lips, and they have have influenced me as well, for sure. uh, This is uh, the longest episode yet, and we even tried to cut down on uh, 
<laughs> um, the lead-in. So <laughs> I, I kind of figured that was going to happen, though. These are uh, both. These are two bands with very long histories. Yeah, yeah. very lengthy, very uh, strong opinions Big held by discographies. Us. Yep. Um, and well, well, we'll make it a double album. In, in two <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> you might want to consider that. You know, it'll, it'll also give us a, a little buffer going forward. You know. Yeah, I actually might want to do that. Um, in fact, I, I, now that I we're talking about it, I think I will do that um, because the ideal length for a podcast, just in terms of people's attention, is an hour. Um, About an hour. We're like two plus, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, about two. About two. Yeah. About two. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what do you guys two, think of the Hosmer contract? Hosmer contract. Uh, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm trying to. I'm trying to start a tangent. <laughs> after he, two hours. he did a lot better Let's than JD Martinez did. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that was a better signing for the Red Sox. Uh, yeah, um, shit, they got him cheap. But, uh, but uh, yeah, we haven't even uh, talked about Andy, who we're doing next week, and a whole lot of the time um, we just lie to people and say we're yeah. going to do something, and then we don't do it. So we'll figure it out. Uh, yeah, we'll, message we'll figure it out this week, and we'll we'll figure something out. Uh, maybe play we'll... it at double speed, and it'll only be an hour long. <laughs> there you go. There's an idea. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so uh, thank you, Scott, for joining us once again, um, and uh, definitely looking forward to uh, getting you on for the Eagles and. Fleetwood Mac matchup. <laughs> Hopefully, oh, I will defend the Eagles till my dying day. Oh, I can't. I cannot wait for that one. <laughs> that might that might be the first uh, truly contentious uh, episode of this podcast that we've ever had. Um, I'll just be in the middle. Yeah, there is a, of you there's on. a distinct lack of uh, fighting. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, uh, this one's definitely gone on long enough. So uh, until next week. Have a good one, everyone. Later. Thank you and good night.